if, if you keep notes in your 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 Bible, uh, go ahead and pull that note uh, paper out because you're going to write this down. I, I I apologize, I didn't leave a spot for it, um, but but I'm going to share with you a phrase um, uh, that that's powerful. It, it's it's some powerful words. You might want to write this down. Because I, I think you'll find it very useful. There's other times in your life that you, you're going to want to remember back, like, where's that paper so you can find it and see what that paper says because there are powerful words. Let me, let me just share what those powerful words are, Rita. Be sure to write this down yourself. Th- these are those powerful words. Tim gets to decide. <laughs> Isn't there power in those words? Well, there's power at least for me. I don't know if they mean a whole lot to you. But with that one little phrase, I was given authority. With that one phrase, I was in cho- uh, being in charge was bestowed upon me. With that one little phrase, the fate lay in my hands. There, and there's no questioning the authority behind that phrase because the one who, the one who stated, the one who said Tim gets to decide was my mom. And, She's the one that said Tim gets to the sky. Let, let me uh, let me explain. It was last Thanksgiving. Uh, my my family or part of my family was gathered at my sister Cindy's house for Thanksgiving. Now we weren't able to be there, but but they were gathered at my sister's house in Pacific Missouri. Uh, Missouri. And sometime after dinner, I don't know when it was, and uh, and don't judge my sister by what I'm going to say that she said. I'm sure it was lighthearted, and it was probably in the conversation. They were talking something about it. But my sister said well, to, to, to mom, well, mom, when you die, I get the picture. Uh, that's, when, that's when my mom made this statement, this, this powerful statement that corrected uh, my sister's erroneous thought. Uh, and she said, Tim gets to decide. Now, let, let me tell you the, the, the back story. What Cindy was re- referring to when she said, I, I get the picture was, was a, uh, an enamel, uh, an antique enamel picture somewhat like this. It's not quite as, uh, uh, quite the same. It's actually a lot nicer, uh, enamel picture, but it was, was something like this. See, this, this picture like this had, had sat on the Thanksgiving table that day, uh, for Thanksgiving as it had for years and, Years and since my mom has has been for the last five or six years been living with my sister and that that picture has been residing at her house for that whole time, uh, you can understand why she might have thought and made that statement. But mom came through with that life changing statement, Tim. Now and what she left out, but what was understood, Tim, who's the executor of the will. <laughs> gets to decide. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, um, uh, I, I'm really laboring on who, you know, how I'm going to do that. I guess I'll just have to bring it home because I get no I, We'll figure out an honest way to do it, an equitable way. But let me, let me ask, the, the picture's not particularly valuable. In fact, I Googled, I Googled it this week, and I can buy one for $54. I think we paid more than that for that one. So, uh, but, but, but you get one for 40, uh, $54. So the real reason... That, that it is valuable is the memories. See, that picture had belonged to my grandma Hartman, my mom's mom, and it had been used on Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners for you. I may have talked about that before. It was out of this picture that grandma would pour, uh, the famous champ drink, green junk, uh, a mixture 
a, a heavenly mixture of lemon lime Kool-Aid, pineapple juice, and her secret ingredient, which no one has been able to replicate quite uh, pond water. Um, and, uh, and see, there's no real value, monetary value to the picture, but it is resplendent with memories. And, and that's why all of us kids and, and a lot of the the grandkids want that as well. We're we're moving into the last days of the last week of Jesus' life. And on Thursday, moving into Friday, there are basically two major events that take place in in this time frame. Uh, the, The most important one, the most impactful one, the one that you probably would be like, yeah, that's what happened Thursday, Friday, was the uh, the arrest, trial, and the crucifixion of Jesus. That happened Thursday night into Friday um, uh, morning into the, the day Friday. But today, we're, we're not going to look at that. We'll actually talk a little bit about that next week. Today, we're going to look uh, at, could, at what could best be described as let's remember. This happens on Thursday afternoon into um, what would be Friday morning, technically, because once sun, the sun set, it was considered Friday morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And if you want to kind of get ahead and be prepared, take your Bibles and mark Exodus 3 or Exodus 12 or both of those. We'll be looking at some of those verses here in a little bit. Everything, everything that happened, everything that we're going to see coming forward here, um, can, can best be seen and understand as let's remember. So uh, Luke chapter 22, 7 to 27 is the whole section. I'm only going to read part of that right now, 7 to 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make, make preparation for us to eat the Passover. Where, where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and save the owner of the house. The teacher says, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover uh, with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs. All furnished make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. First thing I think of when I read that is, uh, we, we talked a few weeks ago uh, on, on Palm Sunday when, when Jesus sent two guys in to get the donkey. Here, we, here again, he sent two guys. He names them this time, uh, Peter and John, uh, to go in and say, follow some guy carrying a jug of water, then say, hey, we're going to use your house. I, I find that kind of funny that Jesus did that. So, so let's look. This first idea of let's remember, we see a sacred, a sacred t- tradition. Everyone in Jerusalem and the, the population of Jerusalem had swelled to well over a million people during this week of celebration. Everyone in Jerusalem, from the high priest and, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, all, all the religion, all the way down to the, the least holy person, whoever you might want to say that was, probably they, the religious leaders would have said that was the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the, the sinners. Everyone in city, from the highest to the lowest, had their minds focused on one thing, the Passover. So, so the sacred tradition was the Passover. Verse, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb 
had to be sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go make preparations for us to eat the Passover meals. Now, it's kind of interesting when you see the parallel passages in the Gospels of, of, of Matthew and Mark, they add a detail that Luke didn't add. Uh, they both record that the disciples were the one that came to Jesus first. They came to Jesus because it, it was Thursday. Uh, and, and the meal was to be that night. So sometime Thursday, they came to Jesus. They're like, hey, Jesus, uh, maybe you forgot about this, but I, sorry for bugging you on this, but where are we going to have the meal? See, they had traveled from Galilee, which is the north of the city, all the way down, or the north of the country, all the way down to Jerusalem. And the, the whole reason for traveling that distance was to celebrate Passover. At least that's what they thought. Uh, the reality was uh, they didn't understand this yet, but Jesus hadn't just come for the Passover, he had come for the cross. And and the highlight of the Passover, the, the crowning moment of celebration, the focal point of the feast was the meal itself. And And, and understandably so, the disciples were wondering, well, where are we going where are we going to eat this meal? Let me explain a little bit about this meal and its uh, significance. Let me illustrate this way. If we could, if we could bottle our Thanksgiving meal where, where, uh, where our green junk was served in a, uh, a pitcher somewhat like that, if we could bottle the importance of our Thanksgiving meal and the c- celebratory and joyous festiviness of, festivities of Christmas, with the religious overtones of Easter, if we could bottle all of those three things together, we would start to get close to the understanding what the Passover meant to the Jew in Jesus' day. Uh, that it, it, it started, it all started this literally week-long celebration with the Passover meal, followed by what was called the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Uh, the, the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was remembering when the nation of Israel had been delivered from being slaves in Egypt. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to, uh, to the book of Exodus chapter 3 to start with, and then we'll jump over to chapter 12. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, uh, let, me, let me read for you verses 7 to 10. The Lord said, I have indeed, indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Now they were, they were slaves. They were stuck there and they were crying out. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now he was talking there, uh, he was talking there to Moses, who was going to be the one, uh, to deliver them. The Passover meal was meant to remind them that during the last of the ten plagues, the last of the ten plagues, which was the death of the firstborn, that God had uh, a plan for them. Look at uh, chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. 
And then down in verses uh, 12 and 13, on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you and the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. So you get the name Passover. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Did did you catch that? Did you catch that they were saved by the blood? They were saved by the blood of the Lamb. Now, where have I heard that before? Somewhere, Scripture talks about being saved by the blood of the Lamb. Where? Oh, well, how about John one twenty nine? Uh, the next day, John, he's talking about John the Baptist. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or how about 1 Corinthians 5, 7, where Paul says, Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you realize, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Or or 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Or Revelation 5.12, which is, is, uh, is from heaven. In a loud voice they sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The, the Passover meal reminded them that they had been delivered, that death had passed over them. The, the, the feast that followed of the unleavened bread reminded them that they didn't even have time. They, they had to eat the meal with haste. They had to eat it standing up, clothed, ready to go, because at any moment, God was going to send them out to their deliverance. So, so they didn't even have time to put yeast in the bread to let it rise. So, so they literally were to take all the yeast out of their houses and eat the unleavened bread in haste. So we're reminded of the Passover with every celebration. And, and so the, the Jews in Jesus' day were reminded of that, but, but when they sat down for the meal, they were reminded of something else. They were reminded of the promise. See, the Passover celebration wasn't just a time to remember a past event. Now, that's kind of what, what the main part was for them. But it was also looking forward to the future fulfillment of a promise. Every Passover was looking back with thanks but also looking forward with hope. See, Jesus or Jews in Jesus' day would have remembered what was said a little bit later in Exodus 12, verses 24 to 27, when it said, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When, when you enter the land that the, Lord your, that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. God delivered them from their oppression before and, and they were holding on to a promise, to, to a hope that would be fulfilled sometime in the future. Now, now what they were hoping is that God would deliver them from a, uh, from a conquering army, the Romans, but but actually, the, the conqueror was there. It was Jesus. 
and he was going to deliver them from the oppression of sin. So, so they were remembering a sacred tradition. But we also see something else there. In verses 19 and 20, we see a little bit of a strange twist. Uh, Wanda set it up very, very well this morning as she, she led us into our time of communion. Verses 19 and 20 says this, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Uh, a strange twist. Jesus took a couple elements of that Passover meal, the uh, the unleavened bread and the wine that would have been there on the, the table, uh, and he made it about him. He made it about him. Jesus changed the Passover from remembering what God had done to remembering and knowing what God was going to do. So the first thing he says is, remember me. Have you ever watched the in any of the films about Jesus? So whether it's the Passion of the Christ or the Jesus film or, or uh, uh, any of the, the movies that show this Last Supper, it's kind of interesting that when they get to Last Supper and Jesus is taking the bread and First of all, a lot of them have it wrong because he takes out a loaf of bread and pulls up a hunk. Well, it would have been dried, uh, unleavened bread, so it wouldn't have been that way. But, but he takes it and passes it around. Same with the chalice with the wine in it. And, and in almost all the films, the disciples are all sitting there just, they're just staring like they're really soaking it in, like they're getting it, like, wow, this is important stuff. We've got to remember this. Uh, well, no, that's not what was happening. <laughs> they didn't get it at all. They had no idea what Jesus was. He, he handed the bread, and so they're like, well, we've already been eating this, but okay, I'll take another piece. And I've got my own wine glass, but okay, I'll take a sip of that, Jesus. And and they had no idea. We're, we're going to look in a minute. The last point will tell us that for sure they didn't know that. Uh, uh, I, I was, when I, I preached at Rustville Church, uh, there was a Sunday that we had a family show up at church that were uh, – Easiest way to put it is they were unchurched. They'd really never, ever been to church. The the parents, and they had two or three small kids, and they had never been to church, didn't know anything about church or traditions or what we did. And and I just happened to be watching during our communion time, and we, we did that old-fashioned thing where like we used to here where you pass the, the trays. And, and and I remember looking up and watching as the trays were passed to that family, and, and they got the tray, and they kind of looked at it like, what are we, what are we supposed to do? But they'd kind of watch and people beside him had taken it. So, so I saw the parents break off some of the, the unleavened bread and pass it. And the mom took some and they passed it to the kids and they weren't too old, maybe eight or nine years old. And they're like, sweet, a snack. And they, they, they broke some off and passed it down. And the juice came by and like, well, these are kind of small, but you know, I was a little thirsty and they all took it and, and they really didn't know what to do, but they, now, they had no idea. It's kind of one of those things like, but someone should have told them what this was all about. That's exactly what was going on with the disciples. They, they didn't have the foggiest idea what Jesus was doing. Jesus, Jesus was saying, remember me. Now, he was talking, he was talking about it in the future because he was saying, remember me, uh, and it dealt with something that hadn't even happened yet. Uh, but not only saying remember me, this is obvious, we know it now, we, we have the, the, the 100 or the 2020 vision of hindsight here. He was saying remember the cross. Each Sunday we celebrate because we want to remember Jesus and we want to remember the cross. We, 
we take that time in our service to remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave. His his disciples at the time had no idea what they were talking, or what he was talking about. But but there'd be a time. I don't know when it was. Scripture really doesn't tell us. But but eventually they would come back and they were like, oh, uh, and ladies, if, if if you've ever done this, so moms basically, if you've ever done this, just raise your hand if you're courageous enough to do that. Have you ever said to your teenage daughter, or maybe a little bit older teenage daughter, um, uh? I can't wait till you have kids of your own. Have you ever said that? Yeah, yeah. And and have any of you, uh, others have said it, you guys just didn't raise your hands. Thank you, ladies, for being brave. Have Have you ever said, you two, have you ever said, I hope you have a daughter just like you or a son just like you? Uh, well, well, when when that happens, when your daughter gets older and has her own child, there will come a time when she's like, oh, I know what mom meant now. I don't know when it was for these disciples. Maybe it, maybe it was during the, the the time that Jesus was on earth after the resurrection, before the ascension. Maybe it was maybe it was after the uh, the day of Pentecost when when the Holy Spirit came on them and the church really kind of started. I don't know when it was, but there was a moment when it when it finally hit. Like that's what he was talking about. That's what he meant. Take the bread and remember my body broken and the juice. To remember, he said, "Remember, remember the cross." So he said, "Remember me. Remember the the cross, and and then remember what the real purpose of the Passover for for the Jews in the day of Egypt was, but also for you. Remember your deliverance. See, the Passover is celebrated to remember them being delivered from death and bondage, and the cross is remembered for us." As we're delivered from from death and the bondage of sin, so, so there's a strange twist. Taking the Passover meal, and instead of it being about what they had always thought it was, they made it about Jesus. Jesus made it about Himself. So, so one last thing. Let's remember. And and I, I think this is cool. There was a strange twist. Look at verses 24 to 27. So Jesus had just taken the bread. This, this represents my body broken. This represents my blood spilled. He just got done saying that. And, and this proves they had no idea what he was talking about. Verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercised authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that his disciples said this. What? What? What are you talking about, Jesus? Now, now this shouldn't this shouldn't have surprised them. It wasn't. It actually wasn't even new teaching. It wasn't even new teaching in this last eight or ten days that they'd been with Jesus. Because over in Mark chapter nine, verse thirty-five, uh, it, it says, "Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last.'" 
and the servant of all. And in Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The strongest evidence, though, of Jesus' idea of servant leadership had been his life. He had served the sick. He had served the broken. He had served the hurting. He had served the ones who no one else served. Jesus had been a living testimony that true godliness was shown through service. Did, did you catch that? True godliness is shown through service. So, so we read this section in Luke chapter 22 or, or com- companion sections in Matthew and Mark and, uh, and, and some of the same stuff in the, the gospel of John. And we, we read it and, and usually the one thing we take out of this section is the, and, and it's okay, we should, is the Last Supper. Uh, we, that, that's where Jesus talked about taking the bread and the wine, and that's what we remembered the most out of that section. But, but I'm, wondering, I'm wondering if maybe we're missing what he really wanted us to get. And that was this idea of service. One of his last teachings, the, the, the one thing he, I think he wanted them to remember was about a shift if you were going to be a follower of his. So so in Jesus' hierarchy, he presented a paradigm shift that was exactly opposite of the world. He he exalted, the, the exalted one was not the one sitting at the table. The exalted one was not the one with power. The exalted one was not the one who called all the shots. The exalted one was the servant. See, see the world saw the other way. He said, not so with Gentiles. They, they lord that over you. And, and his followers, his disciples were thinking just like that. They were influenced by the world. Do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder when we look at our world today, why our world seems to be so messed up? Why, why things seem to be so out of balance and so backwards? We, we exalt men who get paid millions of dollars to play games. We exalt women who are deemed important mainly because their bodies are beautiful. Their bodies are perfect and they're willing to show them off to the whole world. We exalt people who are said to be influencers because they have millions of followers. But why do we as a nation, although we have more convenience, more free time, more disposable income, more access to gadgets and toys, why do we struggle so to find happiness and joy? Maybe we're a little bit like the disciples who were arguing over what greatness was. Maybe we're missing just like they were, that they were in the presence of the one who was showing them how real greatness comes. It doesn't come with power. It doesn't come with stuff. It doesn't come with the world's accolades and praise. It comes to the one who serves. His name was Tom McHugh. So some people, uh, I never saw anyone do it to his face, but some people called him Big Tom. I didn't call him anything. I was scared to death of him. He was, he was my boss. Well, sort of, kind of technically my boss. Tom McHugh was the owner of the restaurant that I worked at my first job. Uh, I, uh, as a senior in high school, I worked at a McDonald's in Mount Vernon, uh, Illinois, and Tom was the owner. Now, luckily, he hardly was ever there. But when he showed up, he would he would strut into the restaurant like he owned the place. 
Well, technically he did, but he would he would strut in, and every once in a while, Tom, like I said, I just tried to avoid the guy. I mean, I was I was intimidated, I was scared to death. But every once in a while, Tom would 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 decide that he needed to jump in and help. Like maybe we got a little bit behind at a lunch lunch serving lunch, and he would run back to the grill and start yelling at people and barking orders and throwing hamburger patties here and there and buns and that. And and it didn't take too long before things just fell apart. It it, it was a disaster when he showed up back there. Eventually, he would realize that he was doing more harm than good and and stomp off to the front or stomp off to the back and do something else. Now, contrast that. Contrast that with a another Tom. This guy's name is Tom Anderson. Bob Russell tells this story uh, about hearing about Tom Anderson. He said a guy in his church came to him one day and, and was telling him this story. He said, I, I was at work. This guy managed a restaurant as well. And he said, says work one day and and uh, one one of the new employees hadn't been there but about a week or so uh, uh, came up the front and and was 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 talking about having to yell at the guy washing dishes. He said that guy back there was too slow and I went back there and I told him he needed to, to speed up. We needed those glasses and and uh, Russell said the manager looked at, at him and said, "Well, do you know who that is?" And he said, "Well, he said his name's Tom, but he better get busy." And he said, "Well." Yeah, it's Tom. That's Tom Anderson. Did you know that Tom Anderson owns this restaurant? Now, which one was the greatest? See, there was a a moment to remember. That's what the Passover is all about, remembering that tradition, that sacred tradition, the Passover as well as a, a promise. And kind of a strange twist when he turns the, that meal and switches it to be about Jesus. We celebrate that weekly in a surprising turn. See, it's not about it's not about what you have, who you know, how much money, how much power, how many tweets you get retweeted, how many likes you have on your Facebook post. It's about service. Jesus proved that later that night when he went to the cross. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that we have a Savior who was a servant. Father, it's easy for us to get caught up in the world and see the things of the world and want to emulate and be like the world. But Father, uh, Jesus, who was the author of the world, the creator of the world with you, uh, was one who served. Father, help us have a heart, have a heart like Jesus. Father, open up our eyes to see how you want us to be your servants. In Jesus' name. Amen.